Sal Berry. Oh my God, how many laps is Gretzky gonna skate? Retire already. And Tim Parrish. I hate to sound like the old man shakes fist at cloud guy. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to talk about the Vladimir Tarasenko trade from the St. Louis Blues to the New York Rangers. We're also going to talk about a few other odds and ends going on in the NHL. And we're also going to talk about some card-related topics, including the much-awaited release of this year's The Cup. Wait, no, not this year's Cup. Last year's The Cup. Oh, no, wait, not last year's Cup. The Cup from two years ago. Do I have that straight? Am I, am I, am I right on that? It's the 2021 Cup set that we're talking about? You got it. In 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 twenty twenty three, hopefully. Fingers crossed, knock on wood. Well, we got a date now, so it's inevitable. The question is, will there be redemption cards or will everything be live in the packs? It's one of those risks that's gonna roll out. And from what I can tell, there's nothing on the checklist that indicate it's going to be any different than it has been up to this point. So there's really no reason to believe that there will be redemptions, but there sort of is in the back of people's heads (laughs) Mm -hmm. just because. So we had a big trade in the NHL. Actually, we had one at the end of January. Bo Horvat went to the Islanders from the Canucks. And that was kind of a big deal because, you know, it was rumored for a while. Oh, Horvat's going to be traded. He's going to be traded. And then he was traded to the Islanders and definitely makes the Islanders a better team. You know, the next big trade, because as we get closer to the trade deadline, you start looking at those big names and who's going to get traded on the deadline, the day before the deadline or leading up to the deadline. And Tarasenko, I mean, it's been uh, he requested a trade back in 2021 uh, and then things kind of worked out for him in St. Louis. But even though he had a no-movement clause, he also had a list of approved teams. So it kind of seemed like something that was going to happen definitely before his contract expired in June. I can't say I was surprised that he was traded. But still, every time a bigger name player, an all-star caliber player gets traded, it's kind of a big deal. So just to give the recap of what went down, the Rangers acquired Vladimir Tarasenko and defenseman Nico Mikola, and the Blues acquired Sammy Blaise, a prospect defenseman named Hunter Skinner. I almost tripped over that name, Hunter Skinner. Sounds like he should be a trapper, an explorer uh, in the new world, Hunter Skinner. a conditional... Less of a name and more of a title. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm Hunter Skinner. I mean, okay, yeah, you hunt him, then you skin him, right? Great name for a defenseman. I mean, kind of ranks right up there with Gunnar Stahl from the D2 Ducks movie, if you remember the Mighty Ducks 2, where they played Iceland and the nemesis was Gunnar Stahl. Mm-hmm. Okay, so anyway, so the Blues get Blaze, Skinner, not Jeff Skinner, Hunter Skinner, a conditional first-round pick in 2023 and a fourth-round pick in 2024 that becomes a third-round pick if the Rangers make the playoffs. So a lot of parts moving there. I like this trade for the Rangers. It makes them a better team. They seem kind of like an underachieving team. Part of me is saying that because I have a couple of Rangers on my fantasy hockey team and I'm disappointed when they don't do anything. And when I say a couple of Rangers, I mean Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad. So like, that's, the, that's kind of the best two to have. That's like, I got like their best two players. And then they have Igor Shesterkin on their team. And granted, Shesterkin can't play every single game, but he's going to play most of them. And then they got Adam Fox on their team. And I just look at this team and then, you know, I mean, Alexei Lafreniere is streaky. He's hot. He's cold. He's hot. He's cold. I mean, even when uh, Barkley Goudreau was put on the top line of the Rangers for a little while, I mean, he was playing with Zibanejad and Panarin, but he was doing good. I mean, someone's got to score the goals, right? So if you're producing on that top line, great. And then I remember like a couple weeks ago, they were playing the Bruins. And I know the Bruins are like the best team in the league, but the Rangers just looked so blah. They just looked so... Like, just not a contending team. And, I mean, looking at their stats right now, I think last time I checked, 
they're like something like sixth in the conference. Let's take a look. See here. As of this recording, they're in sixth place in the East. They were three points behind the Devils, and they're sitting in third place in the Metro. Okay, so looking at the division, that was as of today. Did anybody expect the Carolina Hurricanes to be in first in the Eastern? Excuse me, the Metropolitan Division. In first, no. In position, yes. Yeah. All right. So you look. There's only six points. And that's only because the Devils have been slipping. The Devils have been slipping. The Penguins have been sucking. The Capitals have been sucking. So, I mean, somebody's got to take over first. And the Islanders, like them or hate them, when Biz was on TNT and said that they're the most boring team he's ever watched, he's not wrong. They're pretty lackluster. So Yeah, but who runs the Islanders? Well, of course. You know, no fun Lou, but yeah. still. Lou Lamorello. And pretty much we're not going to talk about the Flyers or Blue Jackets because they don't exist this year. So so what do you think of this trade for both teams, or at least for the Rangers? They got a damn good player in Tarasenko. I mean, for the Rangers, this has very little downside to this trade at all. They had an extra first-round pick right. in 2023. So to get a guy like Tarasenko and give up a pick that you already have one anyway. So to give up one of your dupes of one of your nice cards and get a way better card, I mean, I think anybody would take that deal. So, yeah, for New York, it's great. For the Blues, I think the Blues got fleeced, to be honest with you. I mean, they had to get a first-round pick. Fine, you got it. But look at their roster. Who replaces that scoring? David Perron? (laughs) I mean, okay, sure. No, it's not going to happen. You know, you got uh, a 30-plus goal scorer that you're getting rid of and you get a fourth-line player and a prospect that may or may not ever become an NHLer. No dig against Sammy Blay. It's Blay, by the way. You don't say Blay? This. Sorry, not yeah. Lace. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, he's not <laughs> he, He's not a – he's like a plugger guy. He's not a – you know, he's not a top-line player. He's not going to replace that goal scoring. So here's the thing. I think the Blues should have gotten more for that deal, but it wasn't going to happen in the circumstances that were set up because, look, you mentioned it in the in the lead-in there. You know, Tarasenko wanted to be traded at one point, and then the Blues decided, well, we're not going to trade him. We're going to keep him and keep him here for another year. So you've already made up your mind that you're going to take another year off of his street value, I guess, by keeping him on the roster and, you know, charging through the season with him. And the fact that you've put yourself in a position where you now have this guy where you essentially are forced to trade him and he has a no trade clause. So he has all the control, right? So he can go wherever he wants. And you got to deal with wherever the chips lie. So if this was last year, I think he would have gotten more. But because they waited another year before making that deal, I think uh, I think they got screwed on this deal. But Yeah, it's on an expiring we'll, we'll contract, so yeah. can't. We'll see what happens. If nothing else, yeah, he adds more scoring depth to the Rangers, a, a team that's already potentially lethal with who they have. And it kind of opens up a lot more questions to the free agency market because rumors were flying that this was going to be the destination for Patrick Kane and head on over to Broadway and play with his former teammate, Artemi Panarin, which was a lethal combination, the two of them together. So, you know, hearing the possibility of that, that's scary. I didn't think Tarasenko was going to end up as a Ranger, though. So I think it brings up a lot more questions like, you know, okay, now what? If he's the guy that New York brings in, What's going to happen with Kane now? What's going to happen with the other big guys? Kane's available. Timo Meyer's one that everybody's talking about. I mean, look, the Coyotes put Chikorin on the shelf until they can trade him. I mean, that's crazy to me. So it's like, here's all these guys that are available that can add extra scoring depth to the teams, and they're still sitting. 
Oh, yeah, and not to mention Eric Carlson on the Sharks, rumored to be moved by the deadline as well. Yeah, how's that? The top candidate for the Norris Trophy this year, and he might get traded. Says a lot, though, about the cap era, where, like, if there was no cap, I mean, obviously, yes, if there was no cap, would the world be a better place? But without a salary cap, the Rangers could say, you know what, we're going to trade for Tarasenko, and we're going to trade for Patrick Kane because screw it, we can have a $100 million payroll, and they can't do that. So there's always that sort of dynamic to think about if you could afford to pay the player or if you could keep him in the cap. I don't really know the situation in San Jose so well, but it is definitely kind of an eye-opener or a head-scratcher that a guy who is potentially going to win the Norris Trophy as the league's best defenseman is going to get traded the same season <laughs> do you still win that trophy well and that's the trouble when you have teams that have players that are still elite but are either on expiring contracts or you have teams in cap situations and teams that are let's face it the sharks aren't taking the world by storm here as far as you know being great in the nhl this year I mean, they're not in last place because their neighbors to the south are five points behind them last time I looked, the Ducks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the Ducks and the Sharks, they're two of the worst teams in the NHL this year. So I guess you got to do something. So if these players, you know, like a Chikorin who's on the Coyotes or Carlson who's on the Sharks, Kane who's on the Blackhawks, I mean, and the Blues, you know, the Blues have 51 points. They're only... They're nine games in front of the Hawks, or nine games in front of the Coyotes, I think, who are just barely ahead of the Hawks at that point. Nine points. Yeah. So I think they're, so that would make them, let's see, 37, 40, like they're like 13 points ahead of the Hawks. But when it comes to playoff spot, that's not even close. Mm -hmm. So, and we all know all they've been talking about all year is the Hawks tanking. So, I mean, here you got some of the bad teams pushing players to some of the good teams, and that's what happens every year. You know, when the trades happen, it's usually the contenders that are looking to get better, and they fleece the teams that aren't going anywhere. It just so happens that we have a couple high-profile players that were available this year, and so now we get, you know, trades like the Horvat trade, the Tarasenko trade, the potential of a Kane trade, and wherever Chikrin goes. If you know Carlson gets traded, which wouldn't surprise me in the least if it happened. So, as a Blackhawk follower, eh, I'll say fan, maybe with a lowercase f, not an uppercase f, because, oh. well, you know, my thoughts about how the team is just not a very nice team off the ice. And so, maybe in five years, when we see the good that they've done and, you know, try to repair their image, but. It's not a very nice workplace, let's just say. So you're but, less of less of a rah-rah fan and more of a fan that blows Tawny Katane's hair when she's sitting on the top of the car in the White Snake videos. Huh? You oh, know, fan, yeah, I know the White Snake video. Okay, I just a didn't know the if you just said the model's name, or you said the model's name, and I'm just like, who? But you if don't you know Tawny Katane? Come on. You said the woman in the White Snake video. I'd be like, oh yeah, okay. She's famous. Yeah, She's super famous. She was married to Chuck Finley. Tried to kill him with her shoe. Yeah, she that's harsh. Last, I think she died last year. Well, this rest, podcast rest just ground to a halt. No, it didn't. Nobody cares about that. Move on. All right. So, <laughs> do I want to see Patrick Kane leave Chicago? Absolutely not. But, if he's going to go, he should go where he wants to go. Like Wolverine, I go where I want to go, if you remember the X-Men cartoon from the 90s, right? So he should be able to go where he wants to go. And now you're saying, oh, well, what about Buffalo? He's from Buffalo. Well, eh, I don't know if I'd want to play for Buffalo. I mean, maybe he does. The rumor was that he was going to go to the Rangers and, like you said, play with his old line mate, Artemi Panarin. That would be great. That's not going to happen now because the Rangers are probably not going to make another big trade. I'd love to see him go to Boston. Boston probably doesn't need him. Boston doesn't even have 10 losses. They're at eight losses right now. They're the only team that's still in single digits with losses. And so it's just like, 
yeah, Patrick Kane would be great on the Bruins, but they don't really need help. It's like, if you look at the Bruins, they really don't need anything. I mean, could they use another player? Yeah. I mean, could they use an Eric Carlson? Of course, he would just make them a more stacked team, but they really don't probably won't want to give up anything to get a player like him. So to me, that seems like a good destination. Like if I was Patrick Kane, I'd be like, okay, you know what? I want to go to a team that has a really good shot of winning the Stanley Cup. Because once you win one cup, you want to win more cups. But how many teams are there that we could look at and say are serious cup contenders? Like just looking right now, I mean, I'm looking at Dallas's tops in the Western Conference. Vegas is second in the Western Conference. Winnipeg, you know, between Dallas, Vegas, and Winnipeg. And then let's look at the top three and other ones. Boston, Carolina, New Jersey. Toronto fourth in the in the East. Boston would be my choice because they're a good team. And even when they're not a great team, they're still a big market city and they are a good place to play. I'd rather go to Boston than Nashville, just to put it to you that way. I mean, for a chance to win? Yeah, absolutely. Because Nashville's not winning anything this year. Right. And, you know, most of the Kane rumors have, for the last year, two years, have centered around him going back to Buffalo. Right. Going home. But again, if you're looking to win, they're probably still a couple years from that, I think. Not that they're not trending in the right direction, because it's, I mean, it's quite possible at, at some point we'll end up seeing the Sabres like pretty much in a playoff position. It mm-hmm. wouldn't surprise me. Not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but I mean, it's out there. They're only a couple points behind the Panthers. So. Last I looked. As far as all this stuff goes, it's kind of, it's the rumor mill. You know, Mm -hmm. this could happen and that could happen until it happens. You know, we don't, we don't really know. You know, we don't know what's going on. I think yesterday I saw on like Twitter, I think Nick, Nick Kiprios like put the, the Chikrin deal was in the works to the Kings and people were all going crazy and everything else. And it's like, we've heard nothing about it. Why does he know this? Or how? where is he getting his info from? Mm-hmm. But hasn't happened yet. So we'll see how this all plays out in the end and comes out, comes out in the wash. I honestly think Kane sits till the end of the season. I'll be shocked if he goes at the deadline. I really will. Yeah, at this point, especially... I can't think of a team, like you said, Boston, but can Boston afford him? No. Can they can I mean, they bring on that salary? I don't think so. What other contenders in the East or the West are out there that have the salary that can that can bring on that contract? I mean, for really. a player like Patrick Kane, though, they're gonna want like a, a pick and a player, you know, like like At a first least. round pick and a good player. Probably a couple picks, a player and a prospect. I would think a pick, a player, and a prospect. I like the alliteration there. Maybe a later rounder. But I mean, um, you look at you look at the contenders right now in the standings. I mean, if you're looking in the East and you take the Atlantic, I mean, obviously the Bruins. Right behind them, you got the Maple Leafs and you got the Lightning. Maybe to a lesser extent, the Panthers. I mean, would he go to Florida to give the Panthers a possible chance? I don't know. They've been slipping. Other than the fact that there's no income tax, what would be the benefit? Now, going to the Lightning, Lightning have an opportunity. I don't think they have the money, though. I doubt he'd want to go play in Canada. And your only option is the Bruins. But, you know, the question is, do they have the money? You go to the Metro, there's a lot of teams that could probably free up money. But... Who's got the need? One of them is definitely not the Penguins, I'll tell you that much. Or the Capitals. But anybody else on that list, question is, would you want to go there? You know, Hurricanes, the Devils, obviously the Rangers are off the table now. And in the West, good luck. Other than the Golden Knights and the Jets and maybe the Avalanche, I don't think there's any other locks in the West. I think it's a crapshoot with every other team. 
obviously the Blackhawks would want to move him and get something for him. Oh, yeah, they've got to get something. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't make a player take a trade if he's got a no-movement clause, which I think is a nice thing that players have this say-so in their career. Like, you get hired by, uh, I don't know, Best Buy, and then they decide they're going to trade you to Walmart. I mean, that doesn't happen, you know? And I get it that this is professional sports and not working retail, but if you think of just the absurdity of that for a minute, you know, well, you're we're working for us, but now you're not working for us. But then again, it would be kind of like if all the retail stores had a draft. Imagine that, like you're 16 years old and you're old enough to get a job and there's a retail draft and Toys R Us has the first overall pick and there's me at 16 going, please draft me first, please, 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 please. And then they pass on me, even though I was a big toy collector back then. And then I end up getting drafted by like Kmart or something, you know. <laughs> oh, so you're so you're saying sixteen year old you then, not sixteen year old you now, because if that was the case, you'd have to move to Canada because there are no Toys R Us's around here. Yeah, that's true. At sixteen, I would have moved to Canada because there was more hockey in Canada than there sure as hell wasn't much hockey in Chicago then. I mean, unless you count every other game being on TV. True story. I understand your point of that though. Look, back to the Tarasenko thing, just to use that as an example. If you think that trading your best scorer, and let's say he's a flat 30-goal scorer, that's taking 30 goals off your roster, just right off the top. 30 goals. And if your average point differential in a game, the games that you lose, let's call it two points, right? If you have him in your lineup and the two points is the difference, that's 15 games that could be decided as a win or a loss because you've lost those goals. You can't for one minute think that a pick that's probably going to be a later stage first round pick is going to replace 30 goals. You can't think that. I mean, you want to hope that, but you can't possibly think that. I'm not trying to be like negative with that or anything. Because there are exceptions, and occasionally, you know, the Mr. Irrelevant last pick in the draft turns out to be a solid hockey player. You know, Patrick Hornquist, for instance. But those are few and far between, you know. For every six-round pick of Tom Brady, there's a million other guys that no one's ever heard of and never played a single game. And so thinking you're going to replace that kind of stuff with what's out there in the market, you have to get what you think is going to be the best potential for a trade for the guy that you're dumping and a player like Patrick Kane. Okay. Maybe he's not in his prime anymore. Still, you know, is he a guy that is going to be an impact on a team? Can he make a huge difference? Can he be a, a, can he be a 30 goal scorer? Can he be a 40 goal scorer? Absolutely. Absolutely. So what's that worth? You know, you know, well, maybe Jacob Chickering's a bad example, but he's a highly touted pick right now that's available out there because he's a defenseman and he's had a pretty decent season though so far. But he's a disgruntled player that obviously and clearly, as you watch his game, goes out there and dogs it on the ice sometimes. There's a ding against his defensive play, but I think a lot of that's mind frame because he's miserable and he's been trying to get out of the Coyotes organization for like the last two years. And they just keep saying, Oh, we're going to trade him. We're going to trade him. And they never do. So now it's kind of do your business or get off the pot kind of situation since they've hung him up. Am I saying he's the same as Kane? No, absolutely not. But what's he worth and what are teams willing to give up? Obviously not enough because he hasn't been traded yet. And in the case of Patrick Kane, where he has control, you know, the number one team that he wanted to go to now is not an option. So now what? What do you do with him now? If you're going to get anything for him, you got to act. Can they even? You know, what's the market there? I don't know. I don't know enough about, you know, the caps and everything about the teams to be able to say, oh, well, this is the perfect landing spot or this is the perfect landing spot. Because, again, there's too many variables, especially when the player has control. So you want to talk about these sugar-coated statistics about 
the NHL All-Star Weekend, according to ESPN. Just if you want to touch on that real quick before we move on to card stuff, because that was kind of interesting when you brought those to my attention. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of beat the horse into the ground about the All-Star game, so I guess yeah. this will be, be the last discussion of NHL All-Star Weekend. So ESPN came out, and they rolled it up in a nice little infographic. They still use that term, infographic, infograph. I don't know, whatever it is. But they wanted to talk about how they expanded viewership and expanded the audience. And, you know, they've had increases in this and increases in that. And so they made these nice little graphics and they said that the All-Star Game viewership grew, first of all, among women. That was the one stat that they put up first and they made sure they highlighted that. Said it was up 63% and 48% year over year with women, which I found interesting, but okay. They also said the All-Star Skills saw viewership growth with younger fans up 49% year over year. And the digital, um, so if you remember, we talked briefly about before that they had the GameCast going where you could follow like on ice cameras through the website. They said that had like a 13% increase year over year. Okay. ESPN didn't have that before. So I'm not sure if they're comparing their data to other people's data. And, well, if NBC had it, let's say NBC was broadcasting the All-Star game. If it was previous years, it would have been on NBC Sports Network. Not everybody had NBC Sports Network. So maybe they carry it on the major NBC broadcast. It wouldn't be simulcast on ABC and on ESPN because NBC doesn't own multiple stations. However, they could put it on all of their other stations that they would float hockey games onto, like USA and all that kind of stuff. So I don't really know if they're pulling old data from the other networks or what, but these are the numbers that they're saying. So then they also mentioned that they average 1.5 million total viewers between the ages of 18 and 49, which they said is up 31%. 31%. 1.3 million for the whole entire weekend was the average. So that includes both days. They said the viewership peaked during the All-Star game at 1.9 million total viewers. And the skills competition was the top cable program of the night amongst 18 to 49-year-olds. Now, all of that I take with a grain of salt. Again, I don't know what they're putting these numbers up against. Obviously, we can't see the data because they don't put all of the extra data on these nice little infographics that they throw out there. Mm -hmm. But essentially what this boils down to is you have an all-star game and an all-star skills competition and basically the weekend in general where other than a few people that just towed the line the entire time and you and I even discussed it, like, we're all in on All-Star Games, yet we were both disappointed at most of what went on mm -hmm. because it was just poorly produced. And word got out fast that it was bad editing and bad timing and drug on forever and stuff wasn't being done like the way, you know, it probably should have been and everything else. To then turn around and hear Gary Bettman say, oh, this is great. This is great for the game. Uh, we got more viewers than we've ever seen before, and this is awesome, and all of our demographics are up, and blah, blah, blah. Then to have ESPN turn around and put out these crazy numbers and say, yeah, we're up 63% for all women viewers and 49% year over year for kids between the ages of 2 and 17. That was their category. Wow, that's you, quite the I, jump. Yeah. I don't know about you, but when I was two, I wasn't watching the NHL All-Star game. Yeah, so. I, I don't even remember what I was watching at two. I was probably not watching anything because I was two. No, exactly. So. Granted, we both grew up in households with TVs. I mean, in the, the 80s, you know, but still. Sure, but when I was two, we didn't have cable yet. I think nope. we had maybe five channels on a turn dial TV. We didn't yep. even have remote control. You had to get up and change the channel yourself. Yes. It was a color TV, so I'll give them that. But, you know, beyond that, I remember getting cable early on. Probably wasn't until 84, maybe, though. Wow. 
Maybe 83. It was either 83 or 84. We didn't get cable till like 88, 89. That's why I got yeah. into hockey in 88, 89. <laughs> yeah, I think 83 or 84 is when we got cable. But, you know, again, I wasn't two. I was a little older than two at that point. Okay, that's ridiculous. I don't really care what the two-year-olds are watching. You know what the two-year-olds are watching? Whatever the hell is on the TV when their parents put them down in front of the TV. That's what two-year-olds are watching. 17-year-olds, that's a more interesting demographic because you have teenage boys. You know how hard they are to kind of wrangle and get them to, I don't want to say like something, but to focus on something. So if teenagers are like, hey, this NHL All-Star game was really cool, right, then then that's good because those kids end up being season ticket holders in 10 or 15 years, right? Well, and the youth number that they posted on their little infographic had to do with the skills competition, not the all-star game. So granted, yeah, the skills I think are geared more towards younger kids because it's, you know, all the fancy stuff and it's all the TikTok highlights that they can consume. But when was that broadcast again? The all-star, um, the uh, all-star, the all-star skills. skills? It's yeah. on a Friday night. Oh, a Friday night. Okay. Well, I don't know what kids do these days, but when I was 15, 16, 17, on a Friday night, I certainly wasn't sitting watching TV. Uh, See, I wasn't cool enough to go out on a Friday night when I was like a teenager. I was like old enough to stay up late, but maybe not like, I don't think I was like running around until I was probably, probably 17, 18. It was probably around that point. Yeah. I'm just saying, that's what I was doing. I don't know what other people were doing. So, All right, enough of this All-Star stuff. No more All-Star. We're not talking All-Star game again until next year. Yeah, until they unveil whatever the jerseys will look like for the next year. And we have to talk. Well, we don't have to talk about them, but we will, because we'll definitely have thoughts about them. They'll bring back those Candyland jerseys from the 92 All-Star game with the stripey sleeves. We're going to have to if we're going to keep moving that number. Oh, it's the such and such anniversary, so we're going to throw it back to that. Let's throw it back to the 1925 All-Star game and players can't wear helmets and they're going to wear wool sweaters. Oh, and they won't have shin guards, but we'll give them Sears catalogs. Where the heck are they going to find Sears catalogs these days? I don't think the players would mind the no helmet thing, but the wool sweaters, uh, that might be tough sell. A little scratchy. All right, so let's start with the cup. Because I alluded to that at the top of the show. The 2021 The Cup is scheduled for a release on February 22nd of 23 or 22223. Kind of has a ring to it, but not really. And you're reporting that the prices are about $12.50 per tin, which is funny because back in the day, they were like, what, 500, 600 bucks for like a was it a six card tin, five card tin? I did the math. It was like a hundred bucks a card back in the day, back when you were a case breaker of the cup or a box breaker. Um, as much as you'd love to call me that, the fact that I opened one one time, I think hardly counts me as a case breaker. You don't think DFG breaks has a great ring to it? Um, might have a good ring to it, but you know, it ain't going to happen. All so. right. What did your box of the cup cost you back in, what was this, 2011? Yeah. I, honestly, I can't even remember. I, I want to say it was like between five and 600 bucks is what yeah, I think it I, was. I feel like it was in that range. Um, so that was 2010. So that was 2010, 2011. So I'm trying to think who was in there. Like PK Subban was in that set and. Who else was a rookie that year? Oh, 10 11. Uh, who'd you have that year? Skinner, Jeff that Skinner. 10 11. I'm, I'm thinking back now of like my score rookie and update set because that had all the rookies in it. So you had Subban, you had Nazem Kadri, you had Jeff Skinner, you had um, probably forgetting the most obvious ones. But anyway, so you bought a, a box of the cup and. Back then it was like five, six hundred bucks. Now it's like double that. Yeah. Um, obviously prices go up, right? You know, it is what it is. But this much? Inflation, right? No, um, this is this is that market price BS. Like, well, everybody wants this set, so we're gonna just keep driving up the price. Let me give you a little uh, little side story example here. Say like 2020, 
when cards were getting very hard to find to target in Walmart because you had the flippers going in to buy up all the um, blaster boxes and, and rack packs and whatnot in, say, like Target and Walmart. You know how Panini addressed that problem? They just raised the price of their stuff. Their $10 hanger boxes became $20 hanger boxes. Their $20 blaster boxes became like $30 blaster boxes. I remember finding a box of football cards and it was like guaranteed one autograph per box. I go, oh, wow, that sounds kind of cool. I don't really collect football, but it's got an autograph. And I scanned it and it was like 50 bucks or something. And I put it back. I'm just like, oh. So basically they just raised the price. They said, well, if a flipper is going to sell this for 50 bucks, they could sell it for 50 bucks. And that's what they did. So I feel like that's what's going on now. Is that Upper Deck was saying, Oh, well, you know, I mean, we know that this box of Series 1 used to be, what, a $72 box of cards? But now we're going to sell it for 100 or we're going to raise the price, so everybody has to raise their price. Hand over fist, I tell you. Yeah. I don't know. I hate to sound like, you know, the old man shakes fist at cloud guy, you know, about that stuff. And as time goes on, the numbers move. And so, you know, what was... 500 became 600, which became 800, which became 1,000, and now it's 1,200. So, But in 10 years, 12 years? Know, it's come to be expected now, I think. So any type of adjustment to the value of the box gets pushed a little bit. And the other thing, too, is it's the anticipation of this, because this is the most anticipated set every year, not just for collectors, but for the people that are only focused on trying to make money. Because it's where all the RPAs come from. That's where the highest, the highest ticketed rookie cards all come out of here. And I mean, look, this is the rookie class that has Caprice off in it. It's the rookie class that that has Lafreniere in it. Jason Robertson is going to be the big one now. Which, if you look back on when 2021 products were new without the quotes. Jason Robertson was barely a blip on the radar, but Stutzlow's in there as well. From Jake Ottinger. Ottinger should be in there as well. So, I mean, if you go back and, and look, and the checklist is out there, you can run down the list there. I mean, just like the people we've all, we've named already, there's also the chance of getting skunked. And now we're far enough along that we know where the skunks are. You know, before the skunks could be in the weeds and you show up in the weeds, but you didn't know they were there. But now it's the 2021 list. Guys have been around for long enough. Some of them have still have yet to make themselves a position on an NHL team or, or an NHL roster. I mean, a big potential prospect at one point or another because he was the first pick was Reed Duke. The first signed first, player by the Knights. Well, first signed players by the Golden Knights, yeah. And yeah. When was the last time you heard his name spoken? Only when I brought up the fact that I bought a uh, Reed Duke. I think it was a Jersey Auto card. It was in a different set, obviously, not the cup. But I picked it up for, like, dirt cheap at the Toronto Expo because I'm like, hey, Reed Duke, I know who this guy is. He was on the Chicago Wolves, like, pretty much his whole career. He was a bubble player for the Knights, but he never actually played for the Knights in the playoffs. But, you know, he has some rookie cards because bubble players were allowed to be featured on rookie cards in 21-22. So yeah, you got guys like Reed Duke who are going to get cards. This is my biggest problem with the Series 1, whenever, not to change the subject to Upper Deck Series 1, but my biggest problem with the Upper Deck Series 1 rookie class, there's a handful of exciting players. They go, oh, this guy was just drafted first overall and I want to get his rookie card. But then you have those guys who were called up for like the last two games of the regular season when the team knew it wasn't going to make the playoffs. So it just put some guys, some young guys in just to, to get them up there. Or maybe maybe even they brought up some young guys just to rest their better guys for the playoffs, right? So then you pull these cards of guys who have since returned to the minors or they've already jumped ship and gone to go play in Europe. You know what I mean? So. That's kind of like going to be the thing with the cup where, I mean, I haven't looked at the checklist, but I imagine that some of those names are going to be guys that are no longer in the NHL or really no longer prospects. And I get it. 
not every rookie card is a prospect. And I think that was a mistake that we carried over from our childhood. Remember, we'd open a pack of 89 Tops baseball and we'd go, oh my God, Ricky Jordan, right? Or Greg Jeffries, or I'm, I'm just thinking of, of all those guys in the 89 top set, not Ken Griffey, because he was in the, the update set. But, you know, like you just assume that just because the player had a rookie card, that it meant that he was going to go somewhere. Sometimes they've already got to where they were going to go, and that's, that's as far as they're going. You know, they they sit on the bench as a backup for a game and rookie card, and then that's it. Yeah, and... For every Jason Robertson card, you know, yeah, there's there's Kirill Kaprizov in there, there's Jason Robertson in there, there's Dylan Cousins in that set. But for every one of those, there's a a Ty Smith, for instance. Yeah. Who, yeah. I've always been big on Ty Smith, but he's not on the Devils anymore. He got traded to the Penguins, right? You know, for John Marino, and then the Penguins kept him around for a minute, didn't really use him, sent him down, and he's barely been. You know, barely been back since. You know, there's other guys that have become names that were nobodies at the time when mm-hmm. this probably should have been released. So, like a Keandre Miller, for instance, mm-hmm. for New York. Great example. Keandre Miller's a great player. Turned into a great player. He's got a lot of upside. Um, so you have a, you have a shot at that. But for every one of those, you got Jalen Chatfield or William Lagason or. I don't know, Nick Malosh, or dare I say, Matisse Kivlenix, who passed Aww. away, unfortunately. So, yeah, this is an extreme hit and miss, I think, when it comes to that kind of thing. So if you're looking for the, these big prospect cards, the big RPAs that are the ones numbered out of 249, or even some of them are out of 99 this year, 2020, including the Kaprizov one, it's one of those things that it's feast or famine. I know I've used that term before on some of these products, but I think this is a prime example of feast or famine, especially with the delay of so long and having some of these guys start to age like wine. You kind of already can see, okay, well, here's who I want. I want this, this, and this, which may not have been who you wanted three years ago when the product should have come out. Here might be the list of the guys that you want now. So it's a totally different thing. So I, and I get it that that'll happen. Obviously, with a delay like this, we've not seen anything historically like this in cards that I can remember something delayed this long. But one of those big reasons is because Upper Deck tries to make everything in this set hard signed. There's so much autograph product in here, and it's all hard signed. I don't ever remember seeing a cup product with sticker autos. No, no sticker autos and no redemptions. redemptions. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you're not going to have redemptions and you're not going to have sticker autos, everything's got to be on card and you got to wait for everybody to sign all this stuff. Well, this was supposed to come out still in the mix of, you know, when we were dealing with sicknesses running rampant through teams and, you know, weird scheduling and all of that kind of stuff. So, Players probably didn't have the availability like maybe they did before, or at least companies didn't have the access to them probably like they do in a normal situation. So let's just address the elephant in the room right now. The biggest concern for collectors is will the Kaprizov cards be signed or will there be redemptions or something of that nature? Because he hasn't signed a freaking thing since he got into the league. So every redemption that Upper Deck has put out for his autograph, none of them have been filled that I'm aware of. And I've run into instances of a lot of those where collectors still haven't got their redemptions filled from him. So I guess that that's the question. And nothing came out on the checklist, and I didn't see any announcement as to players blah through blah are going to be this kind of thing. Everything was just released as like it would be normal. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Well, I guess I have to scrape up twelve fifty, and uh, that's one thousand two hundred and fifty, not twelve dollars and fifty cents, to buy a tin and see for myself. Yep. And we're going to find out soon enough because scheduled to release the 
the day after my birthday on the 22nd. So. so if you want to buy Tim a tin of the cup, you know how to find him. Please don't. Save your money. You could send it to my address and I'll make sure Tim gets it. Spend your 1200 on a mortgage payment. Don't buy this. <laughs> All right. So a couple of uh, quick notes about product releases. We had 2122 Synergy, which came out on February 1st. We'll talk about that when we have some to look at and talk about. 2223 Upper Deck Team Canada Juniors came out on February 8th. And yeah, have you seen oh, that? Have you seen that yet? No, I haven't. I yeah, the uh, take or leave those for the most part. Here's the thing so a hobby box has an autograph or a patch, or I should say an auto patch. Plus, there's three other hits, which could be autographs, could be relic cards, whatever. So, essentially, you got four hits. And Upper Deck's done what they did with the artifacts as well, and they have what's called tech inserts. So, they have all their technology type printing tech that they're utilizing Mm -hmm. which are going to be the other inserts plus all of the different parallels like they have red foil parallels and pattern foil board and red pattern foil board and all of this kind of stuff whatever it's five cards per hack six packs per box and there's 20 boxes in a case but for the most part you know these came out on february 8th and immediately prices for these were 250 300 a box like right off the bat. I think right now they're sitting at just a hair under 300 US, like around 280, 290 you can find them for, for mm-hmm. hobby boxes. They made blasters this year. So you could go to retail shops and find these in blaster boxes. Sorry, that's what it, that was the stats I said for the blaster box. The five cards, six packs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's six cards, 15 packs on the hobby box. Mm. Let, me, let me clarify that. So these blaster boxes that you can find retail, also added like the rose gold foil. I think it's like a retail only, but I swear I saw today somebody had boxes listed. They're $60 for a blaster box. It's nuts. And it's only for one reason and one reason only because people are big game hunting and they're trying to get their hands on the man. Because he's not in product yet. So, you know, everybody's looking for Connor Bedard. It's Connor Bedard mania. And this is the first new product to come out since he's been hyped up since the tournament. I don't know that I've seen a junior product or a non-NHL product hit this level. Not one that I can think of. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a product of the current climate of the hobby, but I don't know. If you were paying 300 bucks for a box of Canada-specific junior tournament cards, that's insane to me. I think the old CEO of Classic is probably tearing his hair out right now. Think about in the 90s, we had that whole wave of prospect cards that people kind of wanted, but not really. I mean, you look at like all those seventh inning sketch junior sets, which I think are fantastic. I would love to do a show about seventh inning sketch because they put out these massive sets where they would have like an OHL set with 400 cards and a WHL set with 400 cards. And then you'd also have like companies like Classic would put out classic hockey draft picks and classic pro prospects and Very few of those guys had significant careers. I mean, a lot of them ended up in the NHL. But, I mean, 25 years later, you can find the autographs from those sets in, like, quarter boxes because they're guys that never really made it to the NHL other than getting drafted. So it's just funny that, like, back in the 90s, there was so much product for prospects. And... Now there kind of is. It's it's different, though. There is. I won't say there, there kind of is. There is, because Upper Deck puts out its annual American Hockey League minor league set and its annual CHL junior set, now with this Team Canada World Juniors. So Upper Deck does this. It's just it's not the same as, like, 30 years ago when, like, everybody was doing this. So, yeah, but, I, I think they're a little jealous, like, wow, people paying $300 for a new product. 
even still, I mean, this isn't the first time Upper Decks had this product out, but this is the first time I've ever seen it this high. And the fact that they decided to make a blaster version of it, I mean, just tells you what kind of demand was going to be in there. And they anticipated that having Connor Bedard on that checklist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has to be. It couldn't be any other reason. Because, and why people are paying this much for it, think about it. How many times do player cards showing them as a pre-rookie hold value? I mean, it might have value to us. I'm just Ah. saying, in in the grand scheme of things, there's very few exceptions where you can get a card that shows a player in their minor league or college or um, national team or whatever. And that's like, that's the primary card. Like I said, there's few exceptions, especially modern. I mean, I understand that that Lindros is rookie. Show him, you know, in Team Canada and that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about within the last 20 years. There's very few where there's player rookies that hold as much value on that pre-scale, pre-NHL, than they do now. I mean, sure, we can go back to the early 2000s and say, look, all the Sedin twins, they don't have a rookie card in an NHL uniform. Or... You know, Vinny LeCavalier, he's not in his rookie cards. He's not in that. Or, you know, look at Joe Thornton's card. Okay. Right. Different time. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about modern right now. Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid had a bunch of cards from companies pre. I mean, Leaf put out that one set of the top draft picks. It had him and Marner and I think Dylan Strom and stuff. Does it catch a few bucks? Yeah, it does. But it's nowhere near what a young gun is. Because he doesn't show him in an Oilers uniform. Well, and that's so the thing cares. is that I think of like all those heroes and prospect sets that had Crosby and Ovechkin. Sure. Or Perfect even, example. I could see a Crosby Junior League card of him with Ramuski would sell for a lot of money, but not the same as a rookie card. Like, And that's going to be to somebody who's like a Crosby collector and say, oh, okay, here's him with this junior team. And this card is from 0405 and I don't have it. And, you know, okay, I'm not saying it's worth a hundred bucks, but you know, to a Crosby collector, yeah, it's a hundred dollar card. Maybe it's a $200 card. Maybe it's only a $50 card. I have some cards like that, that I've tried to sell at shows. Nobody wants them. I'll give you one example. And I actually sold it at the, I think the last show I did, I had an 0405 Norfolk Admirals card of Duncan Keith. And this one guy came to me and he's like, I really like Duncan Keith. He's my favorite player. And I said, I might have something that you don't have. And I showed him this Admiral's card. And he was just like, wow, I've never seen that before. And he bought it and he was happy. And I was happy because I made a sale. I didn't sell it for what his young gun would have sold for. But I sold it at a decent price because it was to the right person, Duncan Keith collector in Chicago. And it was a card that predated his rookie card. But to 95% of the people who want a Duncan Keith card, that's not the card that they want, and that's not the card they're going to buy. And I know we're talking about Duncan Keith here. I'm just giving that as an example because that's a card that I sold in December. And it's a pre-rookie, quotes, finger quotes, air quotes, a pre-rookie card. Here's an example that I can throw out right now. Trevor Zegers. Okay. Everybody was high on Trevor Zegers. He's kind of cooled off. But regularly, his young gun sells between 20 to 30 bucks. That's it? Pretty much regularly, yeah. Wow. Arguably, he's cooled off. He plays for a crappy team. I mean, there's no other way around it. I mean, yeah, graded, it's going to be a lot higher than that. I think a 10 sold for like 240 or something like that recently. So, um, and then, of course, you throw the canvas in there. That's going to add some premium to it. But mm-hmm. just an example... Just the regular young gun, a raw one, 20, 20, 30 bucks, fine. Right now, you can go on Com C and buy his AHL card, right? An AHL card from 2021 Upper Deck AHL set. The base card, just like a young gun, base card. There's 63 of them on there. Lowest price, $1.59. Is it the so-called star rookie? Yeah, it's the star rookie card. Yeah, so those were short printed like young guns. So a dollar fifty nine. In fact, if you look at all of those that are on there, eight of them are under two bucks. So do they carry the same weight? Definitely not. Absolutely not. 
Do they have the same demand? Absolutely not. Will Connor Bedard probably continue to maintain a price higher than Trevor Zegers has gone to in his minor league or his juniors? Probably, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near the fervor that you're going to see with him and the actual products once they get him in. You know, if he's going to be the main, you know, young gun at some point, which mm-hmm. I'm sure he will. I mean, good Lord. Can you imagine the box prices on those? I don't even want to think about it. And I don't want to think <laughs> about it if he goes to Chicago, because that's going to just make it even more expensive. And I remember I remember back in 07, 08, how hard it was to find product because Patrick Kane was in Series 1, Jonathan Taves was in Series 2, and a lot of the new product was just being bought up in Chicago because everybody wanted rookie cards of Kane and Taves. So I don't even want to think about trying to trying to get upper deck series one if Connor Bedard ends up with the Blackhawks. Well, you can buy the yeah. cup and get highly touted prospect uh, Pia Suter from the Blackhawks. Oh, wait, he's not a Blackhawk anymore. So let's talk a little bit about this Tim Hortons legend set. What? What are you talking about? Never heard I, of it. I don't know, man. You, you said there was a rumor of this Tim Hortons Legends set. Apparently, so, there's a Tim Horton Legends hockey set that's going to be made. Rumor was has been floating around on the various forums for a while now. Um, but we don't have really any data other than rumor. They said mm-hmm. it was going to come out in April. We haven't seen a checklist, obviously. There hasn't been an announcement made by Upper Deck or Tim Hortons yet. I think the rumor is possibly it's going to be a 100-card base set with several inserts and randomly numbered cards, so very similar to the normal Tim Horton set. But this will be a legends-oriented checklist, so obviously retired players, Hall of Famers, that kind of thing. Which I think would be cool, but why have we not heard about it, and where did this rumor come from? That's what my question is. A Gretzky jersey's up for auction. A Wayne Gretzky jersey from his time with the New York Rangers, from his last game on April 18th, 1999, is going to gray flannel auctions. It's been matched to the one that he had on when he scored his final point as well. So I thought Gretzky wore a different jersey every shift, but you said he only wore four jerseys in that game. I guess he changed his stick every shift. Yeah, I think knowing that it was his last game, he switched jerseys, I believe it was four times. So he had like a pregame warm-up jersey that I think at the time the equipment manager of the Rangers got mm-hmm. and sold it at auction and it went for like sixty-eight thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. That was at a Leland's auction, and that was twenty-two years ago. Ugh, wow. So a pregame warm-up jersey, sixty-seven, sixty-eight thousand, twenty-two years ago. Uh, I don't know. I think Neil Smith got one because he was the GM at the time. This particular one was supposedly given to Gretzky's agent, and it's autographed. So inside, on the back, so on the white stripe, the bottom Mm -hmm. of the jersey, Wayne signed it and dated it. So, you know, all the rest of his uniform went to the Hockey Hall of Fame. So there was the warm-up jersey. He had one on in the first period, one in the second, one in the third. So... That's where the four came from. I think they had the one on display at MSG for a while. To own a piece of history, this is going to be a chunk of money. Outside of my price range, so I'll just settle for the McFarland sports pick action figure of Gretzky doing his post-game skate where he has his helmet off and he's got the one hand up in the air waving to the crowd. You know, I watched that game when it happened. I recorded it. This was back in the VHS days. And I used to record a lot of games. And now I have like four or five boxes full of VHS tapes that I always say I'm going to do something with. And other than one or two games that I've digitized, I haven't really done anything with the rest of them. But I remember watching that game. And I'd watch hockey and it would annoy my roommates who ended up getting into hockey and would always go to games with me and stuff. But they were also like, oh, come on, dude, can we watch something else? I mean, there's other stuff on besides hockey. I'm like, no, this is Gretzky's last game. We have to watch this. This is very important. This is historical. And so we're watching it. I think my roommate wanted to play PlayStation or something. We just had one TV. And then he's just like, oh, my God, how many laps around the ice is Gretzky going to skate? Just just 
retire already. Just just go. Go in the locker room. Get out of here. Because he wanted to play PlayStation. But it was just like, yeah, I mean, I watched that game. I wish it was a better game for Gretzky. It would have been great if he had three goals and an assist and a Rangers 4-3 win over the Penguins. But it didn't happen that way, did it? Was it a tie or something? The it was best late. part about that game is the Penguins won in overtime. Oh, yeah, it was an overtime win, but for the Penguins, that's right. I think Yager had like an ankle fracture or something, and he said there's no way in hell I'm missing this game, so he played. Yeah, and if you remember, there was like all sorts of publicity and everything around it. They even, they had the camera following him around all over the place. They had it in the locker room. Remember, he was signing he was signing all his sticks, mm-hmm. giving, them to, mm-hmm. giving them to all his teammates. There's like video of that floating around out there. But this is going to be a nutso piece. I'm almost tempted to, like, I'm sure it's going to be an online thing. I'm almost mm-hmm. tempted to put a bid on it just to see. Just to say I bid on it. Yeah. Because yeah. you could guarantee if the pregame warm-up jersey sold 22 years ago for $67,791, that this one's going to go for more than that. Yeah. Easily. You could, go, you could go ahead and put a $20,000 bid on that and sleep at night knowing that you're going to get yeah. outbid and knowing this, that you're not going to be on the hook for that. Right. This has got to be a six-figure thing, easily. Yeah. Which is funny because, I mean, I think, like, if I was going to own a Gretzky anything, I'd probably want King's Era because that's just what I remember him best as because I didn't get into hockey until he was traded to the Kings. But, I mean, you know, I wouldn't look down on anything. Somebody said, here's Sal, here's a racer's jersey. I wouldn't be like, oh, I, I can't have that because... Uh, well, that's different. That would be extremely rare. No, I mean, game-used anything would be awesome to have. Game-used stick. I mean, I got a couple of game-used sticks of just some, like, respectable Blackhawk players. Nobody who's in the Hall of Fame, but, you know, just guys who played on the team for some time. And it's cool to have that sort of stuff. Yeah, I have one game-used jersey. I have a used stick blade. It's not game used, but it was used. But other than that, I don't really have a whole lot of actual used used memorabilia because, again, I like to pay my mortgage. Yeah. And I (laughs) I think back to I mean, obviously, everything was cheaper back then. But I even think back in like recent memory, you know, I'd always find money to go to a show. I'd always go to a show. Sometimes I'd go to a show with like 100 bucks on me and that was it, you know, and I'd stretch it out over two, three days or whatever. Cause you know, a lot of quarter boxes and stuff like that. And when I'd go to the national, I'd save up and, you know, I'd have like hundreds of dollars, but not, not like thousands of dollars to spend. And I just think about like how, like I'd see this thing and it'd be like, I, I mean, I don't know what they sold for, but it's funny because now I can afford the things. I'm not saying I could afford $68,000 on a Gretzky Jersey. Okay. Perfect example. National in 2019. I am still sad about this. This guy had the last goalie mask that Ed Belfour wore in his professional career. It was when he played for that Swedish team that was Division Two, and they wanted to move up to Division One, so they brought on Ed Belfour. So it was his eagle mask, his goalie mask, like what he wore with the Blackhawks, but it was blue. You sure so, his nickname wasn't Moose? Moose, Eddie the Moose, right? I kind of, I kind of think he was Moose. Wasn't the Eagle Mark Messier? Did we talk <laughs> about this already? So the guy wanted six grand for it. It wasn't even at auction. It was just sitting there. He had a bunch of game used stuff, game worn stuff, and this goalie mask was six grand. And I looked at it and I picked it up, and you know he let me take a bunch of pictures because I wrote about it. And I just looked at it and I said, you know. I said, if I bought this, I would just sit in my chair and just hold it in my hands, like lovingly cradle it in my hands and just gaze upon it because he only wore it for a season. So it didn't have like a lot of damage to it. Cause I mean, how many pucks could he have gotten to the head in one season in Sweden? Right. And it was like that nice shiny, like metallic blue where you look closely and it was like lots of little different blues, like just kind of like speckled, you know what I'm talking about? Like that nice almost like you'd see on like a car, like a 70s car. Does that make sense? Like that kind of chrome look to it. Is this making sense or do you have no idea what I'm talking about? No, I know, I know what you're talking about. So it was such a gorgeous mask and I wish I, I just didn't have that kind of coin back then. I could afford it now. Should I afford it now? No. But 
And then he ended up getting it autographed because Belfour was there at the show and he had him sign it on the back plate in silver. And I was just like, oh, man. And I think then I think he jacked up the price then because I looked at it every day and I talked to those guys. I think those are the guys you bought that stick blade from, actually, that Sidney Crosby practice used stick blade or whatever. That's probably the one game used item just because Belfort was a favorite of mine when I was a kid. No, it's not a Blackhawk mask. Yes, it is maybe kind of anticlimactic if you think about, well, he was a Blackhawk and he was a Shark and he was a Dallas Star and he was a Maple Leaf, right? So he played for some iconic teams. And it, oh, and then this is his mask with Sweden. But the point is, is that it was just in gorgeous shape and it was just a nice looking piece. And I could say, yeah, that's his last mask that he wore as a pro hockey player. Luxens. He played for them in, what was it, 08? You know who the other goaltender was on their roster? Or the other main goaltender? Was it Eddie Lack? It was. Yeah. Very good. I remember that, yeah. Very good. So, yeah, I think that's interesting. <laughs> you play Six Degrees of Eddie Lack. I know the guy who was his goalie coach when he was on the Chicago Wolves. So, I guess that'd be Six Degrees of Ed Belfort, because I know the guy who was his goalie coach, and Black played with Belfour. Yeah. Anyway. I was going to say, running down that roster, Pierre-Edouard Belmar is on there, was on that team. And the only other name I recognize is Roman Volpat. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that must have been when Belmar was thinking about quitting hockey, because I remember hearing about him playing in like a tier two league and being so broke, he couldn't afford rent and food and stuff. So that team was a non-elite league. Like you said, they were trying to get bumped up to the first division. So any last thoughts before we wrap this one up? Because I think this was a great medley of topics for today. Oh, a medley of topics. I think we said all we needed to say for now. Until next time. All right. Well, until next time, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. Please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Puck Junk. Tim is at The Real DFG. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.